Tonight, is wokeness destroying both professional and amateur sports? It sure looks that way sometimes, but don't despair, folks. There are some positive changes on the horizon. It's Monday, July 24th, 2023. I'm David Menzies, and this is the Ezra Levent Show. Shame on you, you sensorious bug. If the world were a department store, I think the realms of current events and politics and foreign affairs, you know, the important stuff, well, that would pretty much exist as, say, the furniture and heavy appliance departments. These are the big ticket items. They are important stuff, too. All households need that. As for the realm of sports, a.k.a. fun and games, Well, that would be the toy department, an area dedicated to fun, frivolity, and whimsy. Well, as the saying goes, that was then and this is now, because the sporting world in recent years has become completely infected by wokeism and political correctness and even cancel culture. It is no longer a biosphere for escapism because... The corporatists running professional sports, for example, are seemingly more concerned with their ESG scores than they are with the score on the field. This trend has only ramped up post-George Floyd, of course, so much so that you can't even tune into an NFL game these days without seeing end zones and helmets festooned with slogans such as end racism. What exactly does that messaging mean Racism is odious. No reasonable person would embrace racism. But does a rend racism slogan make a racist say to him or herself, by golly, racism is a terrible thing. I'm going to love my fellow man. Anybody out there want to sing Kumbaya? No, such messaging is simply a matter of preaching to the converted. In other words, the most useless form of marketing that there is. In any event, I have a few recent examples as to how sports at various levels are actually being destroyed these days by wokeism. Exhibit A, the Toronto Blue Jays and their handling of now ex-pitcher Anthony Bass. Now, some of you sports fans might think that the Anthony Bass saga is old news, but there is a new and bizarre angle to report. By way of background, last month, the LGGBDTTTIQQAAPP plus etc. community discovered that Bass, a pitcher with the Toronto Blue Jays, had carried out a heinous act of transphobia. Good golly, Miss Molly, or is it Mr. Molly? That sounds serious, doesn't it? Transphobia. What did Anthony Bass do exactly? Utter death threats? Punch a drag queen? No, Bass's sin was sharing a post on Instagram that called for boycotts of Target and Bud Light. These are very popular boycotts, by the way. Well, at least when it comes to those who identify as, you know, normal people. Just check out Anheuser-Busch's stock. It has fallen by more than U.S. $16 billion since the disastrous Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light campaign. 
Target stock has fallen by more than U.S. $10 billion since its boneheaded decision to sell penis-hiding swimming suits and other weirdo trans merchandise. But the Spirit Unicorn set was in a tizzy over Bass's endorsement of these boycotts. We can't have that, can we? So it was the first step in the rehabilitation of Anthony Bass was the issuance of a groveling public apology by the pitcher. Then Bass was forced to attend a lecture by Sherwin Modeste, the executive director at Pride Toronto. Oh, death, where is thy sting? But the Blue Jays organization was not quite done yet with the public flogging of this man who was guilty of wrong think. Because in a Friday game against the Minnesota Twins, the pitcher Bass was going to transition, can we use that word, into a catcher for a ceremonial pregame pitch tossed by Toronto trans activist Leslie Lee Cam. Alas, at the last second, for reasons that still remain a mystery, the Jays organization canceled that circus act and simply released Bass. We imagine the ball club, owned by uber-woke Rogers, decided that Bass was too much of a deplorable basket case, and it was best that he throw baseballs elsewhere, lest the spirit unicorns up in the cheap seats remain triggered by the man's very presence on the team. So it is that Anthony Bass, as a Blue Jay, is now ancient history. But get this, folks, Anthony Bass's history as a Blue Jay is also history in that the organization is seemingly pretending that this so-called transphobe never existed on the roster in the first place. Either that or they are continuing to carry out a vendetta against this man. By way of explanation, do you know that it is actually verboten to purchase a Blue Jays jersey bearing the surname Bass and the number 52? No, we're not kidding. And the explanations for the ban are all over the map. One employee at the Blue Jays swag shop said they will only crest the name and number for players who are on the current active roster. But we found out that's not true. If one wants a jersey bearing the names and numbers of players from yesterday, for example, Lloyd Mosby, Dave Steeb, Jesse Barfield, those jerseys are readily available for purchase. We asked, what if the jersey was a gift for a friend with the surname Bass? We received two different answers for that query. First, we could buy a jersey with Bass on it, but not Anthony Bass's number of 52. Another employee said we could indeed buy a Bass 52 jersey, but we had to provide government-issued ID to ensure that this other Mr. Bass actually exists. Again, we're not making this up. And yes, we do have video evidence. Well, we can't do Bass either. You can? No, he's not on the team no longer, so he, we can't do him at all. Oh. Yeah, he got DFA'd a couple weeks ago, I believe. Right. And so that's why we can't do him. Yeah, we can't go get him customized because he has to give, if he's playing for the team currently, we yeah. could do it. But since he's released and no longer with the team, we can't. So if he was like, let's say retired and he gave us the rights to do it, we could customize it. But unfortunately, we can't do it. 
Oh, I didn't. So is that with any former player? Or? Yeah, so all former players, as long as they're retired and they give us the rights, we could do it. However, okay. if they're like, let's say a free agent um, and they didn't officially retire, we can do it. So in other words, all. if I came here two weeks ago. Two weeks, four weeks when he was on the team, yes. And so any player that leaves the team? Pretty much, yeah. So let's say we trade, I don't want to say a good player, but let's say we, <laughs> we, we trade like um, Yimmy Garcia tomorrow. Okay. We can't do his jersey after that. So wow. once the trade becomes official, we can't uh, do a player on a different team. What if it just happened that my friend's name is Bash? And it would favorite... have to be a different number. Oh, it yeah, can't yeah, be? Yeah, it can't be uh, 52. It has to be like, let's say 51, 53. Wow. Yeah, and then we'd have to ask. You've really canceled this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my goodness, yeah. okay. I saw the sign, it said everyone welcome on the store window, yeah. but uh, I guess not this one. If I went to like a sport check, are they, they, could, they, would, they can do it? I don't know if they would do it, they okay. might. All uh, right. It would just be up to that associate or their policies, I don't know what it is. Yeah, like but. I'm just asking if this is a Blue Jay policy mm -hmm. or a Major League Baseball policy. I think it's, policy. A, major league. Yeah. it's a Major League. It's a Major League, oh okay then. It's All right, part of the then. Players Union and oh, is that right? Yeah. What, do they get a kickback? Because they when do they... get royalties, yeah. Oh, they get a royalty. I see. Okay, then. We were also told that this was Blue Jays policy and or maybe Major League Baseball policy as well. And we were informed that this policy might prohibit an independent sports store to crest a Blue Jays jersey with Bass 52 emblazoned on the back. Uh, this was false, too. We went to another shop and did indeed get a Jays jersey crested in such a manner without incurring the wrath of the fashion police. And here's the evidence. Our Bass jersey. Now, we reached out to the Blue Jays media relations team, specifically Andrea Goldstein and Simon Wells, to find out what the real story is. Neither Flack replied. So we paid a visit to Skydome the other day to see if anyone at the front office could give us an explanation. A gruff security guard informed us that we needed to book an appointment to get an interview. We said we tried to do just that very thing, but nobody responds to our emails. So she suggested that we should send them an email. But they don't respond to emails. At this point, the conversation soon resembled a new age version of Abbott and Costello's Who's on First routine. Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know. Who's on third? You know the guy's oh. name's on the baseball team? Yes. Well, go ahead. Who's on first? Yes. I mean the guy's name. Who? The guy playing first. Who? The guy playing first base. Who? The guy on first base. <laughs> Who is on first? Why are you asking me for? I don't know. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm asking you who's on first. That's his name. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. That's it. <laughs> Anyway, there you have it, folks. To appease the Rainbow Mafia, the Blue Jays continue to conduct a vendetta against Anthony Bass simply for expressing an opinion that the lunatic fringe takes exception to. The end result, Bass, like a member of a totalitarian regime who is suddenly being deemed persona non grata, has been erased from existence. It's cancel culture that would make Orwell blush. It's downright baffling and disturbing. But alas, transanity has also infected amateur sports. 
Exhibit B, meet Ash Davis, or is it Ashley these days? Mr. Davis plays for the Fergus Highlanders women's rugby team. He tackles hard. Just ask those three women players who suited up for the Stony Creek Camels last month. The three women who had to be removed from the game, that is, thanks to Ash's debilitating tackles. Ash is clearly a male. In fact, he doesn't even try to look female. Ash is clearly a male. In fact, he doesn't even try to look female. He has an Adam's apple. Male pattern baldness is setting in, and it's impossible to ignore those leg muscles. Now, I visited Fergus, Ontario last Saturday to take in a game between the Highlanders and a team from Burlington. I think it's safe to describe Ash's style as ambush predator, which is to say he spends most of his time on the pitch casually strolling around. He's not that active at all, but what he's actually doing, folks, is waiting for a female player on the other side to take possession of the ball. Then he goes into charging rhino mode. Think of that infamous hit Scott Stevens rendered onto Eric Lindros a few decades ago. And he has no clue this is coming. This is a freight train coming his way. A freight train. And it is a wicked hit. Yeah, that's kind of Ash's style too, except he's not going up against another six-foot-plus dude. His victims are smaller, and they weigh less, and they are shorter. Oh, and they're female. How does he even live with himself? It is outrageous, it is egregious, and it is clearly unsafe for a real woman to play against this brute. And yet it is being tolerated. Indeed, this is perhaps the most overlooked, underreported Canadian sports story of 2023. As far as we can see, Joe Warmington of the Toronto Sun is the only mainstream media scribe to pen a story on this gender-bending grifter. Indeed, Warmington noted that female players with that Stony Creek team felt as though they were being, quote, hit by a bus on the field or a truck, end quote. Stated one injured player, quote, I had never been hit like that before, even at the competitive women's level. There was so much more brute force. There are women who are bigger than him, but no girl hits like that. This is a strong human, end quote. Naturally, given our cancel culture environment that is championed by the Rainbow Mafia, that woman did not want to give her name. Diana Murphy, meanwhile, a friend of some of the players, tweeted the following, quote, Three women's rugby players had to be removed from a game and treated for injuries from hits sustained by a trans woman, end quote. And that she feels, quote, trans have no place in women's sports, end quote. But get this, Ash being on the field actually goes against the sport's governing body, World Rugby. World Rugby notes what should be obvious, actually, in this statement, quote, transgender women may not currently play women's rugby. Why? Because of the size, force, and power-producing advantages conferred by testosterone during puberty and adolescence and the resultant player welfare risks this creates, end quote. Yet Warmington noted last month that the rugby authorities in Canada are hopelessly beholden to wokeness. 
Rugby Canada said this is a federal inclusion issue. And not only is this transgender player welcomed in the league, but the law protects this person from discrimination. <laughs> really? Meanwhile, Rugby Ontario responded by issuing a gag order to players. Quote, if you are contacted by anyone in the community or the media, please do not engage by offering an opinion or comment on this situation. End quote. Brutal just like Ash slash Ashley. After the game last Saturday against Burlington, by the way, Burlington won 47-21. Presumably, Fergus needs more men on the team. Well, we attempted to interview Ash. He ran away from us. Meanwhile, many of his teammates blocked our passage, passage as they hysterically yelled, human rights and trans women are real women. Mr. Davis, Ash. Why are you doing this? I'm David Menzies, no, Rebel News. Hi. No, you're not really uh, a part of this. We're having a team chat now. Okay, so I'm just trying to ask some questions, ma'am. But this is not the appropriate time for that. Why are you so allowing a biological male to compete against female so players? I'm not going to have a conversation with okay. you. Well, I'll talk to Ash then. Ash, do you take joy in injuring female rugby players? Are you lacking the skills to play with male players where you should be? You're a biological male, aren't you? I got you. I got you. No, we're gonna have right here. Thank you, sir. No Mr. Ash, are you are you a misogynist? Hey, watch it. You'll be charged with assault. Would you mind yeah. leaving? Mr. Ash, the governing the governing uh, body for rugby, World Rugby, says men should not compete. Trans lives matter. Wow, really? Trans lives matter. It was absolutely astonishing. These young women are apparently so indoctrinated that they take no issue whatsoever with this cheater playing against and routinely injuring real female players. It's supposedly all about the unholy trinity of equity, diversity, and inclusion. But really, what this boils down to is garden variety misogyny. The woke dopes who comprise Rugby Canada and Rugby Ontario would do well to adhere to the rules and regulations of world rugby, and the sooner the better. After all, what are they waiting for? A real woman to die on the pitch thanks to this monster? By the way, why aren't even the sports writers in Canada chronicling this sordid saga? Well, I'll tell you why. Sports writing, for reasons... I don't really understand, is now the breeding ground for political correctness and wokeism. Indeed, if there are any old school types left in sports commentary, a la the beloved Don Cherry, oh, believe me, they will soon be cancelled. Just like Grapes was, merely for stating a truism regarding the appalling dearth of people wearing poppies on November 11th. But if the truth hurts, then cancellation is the knee-jerk response which is, by the way, the very definition of political correctness, i.e. censorship of viewpoints, lest someone take offense. And in Don Cherry's case, it was all so perverse, wasn't it? He was responsible for the most watched eight minutes of Canadian TV every Saturday night on Coach's Corner. And in a medium that chases eyeballs, 
one would think that would be the be-all and end-all, right? But no, protecting the sensitivities of snowflakes is paramount. God, do I miss Don Cherry on Coach's Corner. I know millions of other Canadians do as well. But what do we know? The flip side of Don Cherry would be Toronto Sun sports columnist Steve Soyboy Simmons. Even though the Sun is right of center, although that is kind of up for debate these days, isn't it? Given how the disgraceful columnist Brian Lilly is going to bat for Prime Minister Blackface these days. Well, nevertheless, it seems that only woke joke lefties chronicle sports these days. I'll give you an example of how putrid Simmons is when it comes to the world of sports because when meshed together, these two column excerpts feature everything from Trump derangement syndrome to outright blatant hypocrisy. We go back to 2018 when the Washington Capitals won their first Stanley Cup. The team, as per protocol, was invited to meet President Trump at the White House Oh, but goalie Braden Holtby decided not to join his teammates. Why? Well, he said, quote, I've got to stay true to my values, end quote. Values? What values? Well, Holtby declined to fully elaborate. You know, I'm guessing transparency isn't one of his values. And check out this pithy prose from Simmons. Quote, had a lot of respect for Braden Holtby before he announced he wouldn't be traveling with the Washington Capitals a few blocks to the White House. Now a lot more, end quote. Yeah, but here's the thing, folks. I'm calling offside here. Actually, throw in gross misconduct. You see, when the Boston Bruins won the Stanley Cup in 2012, goalie Tim Thomas also declined a visit to the White House to meet with then-president Barack Obama. Well, the jock sniffers who comprised the sports writing community lambasted Thomas for taking this stance, including, drumroll please, Steve Simmons. Here's what Simmons wrote back in 2012. Quote, Tim Thomas can believe politically whatever he wants. It's my belief he should have been with his team at the White House. End quote. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop the clock. Time out. Simmons applauds Holtby for snubbing Trump, but condemns Thomas for doing likewise with Obama? What the H-E double hockey sticks is going on here? Then again, if Mr. Simmons didn't have double standards, well, I'd reckon he'd have no standards at all. But you know what, folks? It's not all doom and gloom when it comes to wokeness in the sports realm. For example, consider the announcement by NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman last month. Yeah, at the height of Pride season, no less. Namely, NHL players will not be wearing gay Pride-themed jerseys onto the ice during warm-ups in future seasons. Oh, and by the way, when this story was reported by the Toronto Sun, the Sun also ran a poll. The question was as follows. Should professional sports stay out of the LGBT war? Well, the results qualify as a landslide on steroids. The yes side responded 100%. As for the number of people comprising the no side, in other words, those who support pro sports embracing LGBT issues, well, that was precisely 
Zero point zero. By the way, Bettman says canceling the Pride warm-up jerseys is being done to avoid any distraction. Um, distraction, or does he mean dissatisfaction? You know, dissatisfaction of the product by actual real-life hockey fans who buy hockey tickets and watch hockey games on TV and listen to hockey games on radio. That's who Bettman needs to appease as opposed to social justice weirdos playing Dungeons and Dragons in their granny's basement. And with good reason. The NHL is a business. And as they say in business, the bottom line is the bottom line. So maybe the real reason the NHL isn't so gay these days has everything to do with, oh, I don't know, TV ratings? Check out this Yahoo Sports article from February, which notes that NHL TV ratings have plunged by a staggering 22% year over year. Can you imagine? More than one-fifth of the NHL's TV viewing audience has disappeared in the space of 12 months. And my take is that the NHL's never-ending force-feeding of woke ideology is turning hockey fans into, well, ex-hockey fans. Indeed, anecdotally, I can tell you I have come across numerous friends, family members, and colleagues who say they are done, done, done with the NHL and its propaganda campaigns, that they can't even remember the last time they watched an entire hockey game from start to finish. And count me in with that camp, by the way. Then again, folks, in fairness, I do live in Toronto and there are only so many decades of disappointment one can endure, eh? Still, the NHL is undoubtedly concerned with this massive TV ratings plunge because as much as ticket sales and concessions and the sale of merch is important to pro sports teams, the real meat and potatoes revenue-wise are those multi-billion dollar TV deals. And if a league is delivering fewer eyeballs to the networks, that means there's going to be smaller TV contracts in the future. By the way, shrinking audiences is not just an NHL trend. It was reported last month by Sports Business Journal that Major League Baseball saw its viewership drop by 29% across Fox Sports and ESPN through the first two months of the season, even as the length of games is getting shorter. Ouch! And on the hard court, last month, the LA Times reported that ABC's coverage of the 2023 NBA Finals averaged its smallest audience when held during its customary time since 2007, erasing the previous low set a year earlier. Very interesting. Even the almighty National Football League is not immune. Sports Media Watch reports that NFL viewership took a slight hit in its most recent season. The 2022-23 NFL regular season averaged 16.0 million viewers per window. That was down from the previous season's average of 17.1 million viewers. At the end of the day, when it comes to professional sports, I could care less if you are left or right of center. But can we all just treat the professional sports sphere as a conduit for escapism? 
when I tune into a hockey game or a football game, it's to, well, watch a game, not get preached to by diversity and inclusion dolts. I think I speak for the vast majority of sports fans when I say, leave us alone already. Enough with your sanctimonious sermons. We're tuning into a game to get away from the horrors of an increasingly woke world. We don't want more of this crap shoved down our collective throats. As for amateur sports leagues participating on the war on women by allowing biological males to compete with biological females, please, enough with this nonsense too. Do the right thing, which is to say, if a male player is suddenly pretending to be a female player, by all means accommodate him, which is to say, create a third sports division. Call it other, or call it open, or call it anything goes. Let whoever identifies as whatever play in that realm so that biological females do not run the risk of being crippled or worse. Public safety still comes first, doesn't it? Heck, I think that an open sports division populated by the unhinged members of the transgender community would be a blast. And let's be honest, try to convince me you wouldn't want to watch such a game, any game featuring the likes of Ash Davis and Busty Lemieux and Jonathan Yaniv. Hey, decades ago, folks, carnival freak shows went out of business. Freak shows were no longer considered to be socially acceptable. But if the trans community wants to bring back a sporting freak show populated by she-males and frankenfems and he-she's, well then, more power to them. Talk about a league of their own. Oh boy, where oh where can I buy season's tickets for that sordid sports spectacle? Well, folks, my next guest was a duly elected member of provincial parliament here in Ontario. And then he became kind of a quasi-political prisoner here in his own province. Absolutely spectacular. Yes, I'm speaking of none other than Randy Hillier. And we want to touch upon two things. One is his ongoing constitutional challenge. And the other is a boycott that Mr. Hillier is supporting in terms of Canadians donating their blood, donating their organs, in light of an absolutely egregious tragedy that occurred, thanks again to the medical establishment. So without further ado, let's welcome Randy aboard. Hey, Randy, how are you doing this summer? Well, it's a pleasure to be chatting with you again, David. And uh, summer is good, and uh, we are... uh, thriving in the dystopia world called Canada right at the moment. Uh, But we're continuing to fight, and there's lots of fights yet to be had. Yeah, I think the last time I physically saw you, Randy, it was about two years ago in the People's Republic of Peterborough. Um, I, I believe you got ticketed, Maxime Bernier got ticketed, I got ticketed, I saw the police officer's notes, I was seen laughing and shaking hands in public. <laughs> I am not making this up. By the way, what happened to your tickets uh, in Peterborough at that 
so-called uh, illegal gathering? Well, I, I still have about 10 uh, provincial fences uh, mm. remaining. Uh, most of them are on hold until this week's constitutional matter is heard in the Superior Court in Toronto. And, and let me just uh, preface this a little bit, David, for your audience. For over a year now, the Crown has agreed that my constitutional challenge would be heard in an open court in person and it would uh, be held in the Superior Court. Late last week, I got notified that the Ontario courts are instituting a shadow ban on my hearing. Uh, so shadow bans, your audience will be aware, well aware, we, it's a term that we often use with social media. However, uh, they unilaterally and arbitrarily decided that my court hearing would only be done virtually on Thursday, July 26th and Friday, July 27th. Uh, and there can be no mistake in anybody's mind. What they wanted to do was to make sure that I did not have a public forum um, where people and my supporters and others could attend an open court, hear the arguments. Uh, they, these are strong, incredible arguments that are being advanced. If we're successful, it will do away with not only the rest of my provincial offenses, but do away with all offenses under the um, Reopening Ontario Act across Ontario, and hopefully also have great impact in other jurisdictions as well. But but the courts and Randy, in if, if I can if I can just jump in here and ask you, did your council seek to have an in-person court hearing? I, I was in court uh, twice uh, last month, and I actually requested that, and I was granted that to have the other parties come in physically to the courthouse. Uh, so the question is, did they ask for that? And uh, whether they did or not, what do you think is the ostensible policy reason of making sure this is virtual? Is it simply just to, as you said earlier, uh, keep interested Canadians uh, away from seeing the, the arguments they're going to present in court? Not only did we request it, the Crown had agreed to it, David. Ah. For over a year... The Crown had agreed that it would be in person, that it would be at the main courthouse on University Avenue in Toronto, and it would be in the Superior Court of Justice. Um, so there is no justifiable reason to not have in-person court hearings. Correct. Uh, the, all the, none of the courts have any mandates against vac about vaccines or or masks, or social distancing, or any of that matter. Like, that has been dispensed with in our courts. Right. So what is the real excuse for them to not have, to, to at the last minute decide, no, we're going to change this? And, and you can be certain that had I been down in Toronto in an open court, there would have been some media attention, the public would have been there as well. And one cannot come to any other conclusion, reasonable conclusion, that the courts and the government wanted to implement something akin to a shadow ban 
on this constitutional proceeding um, and make it so that few people understand what is going on. Wow. I, you know, Randy, I'm detecting a, a bit of a, I don't know, a vendetta here, maybe some vindictiveness. I, I'm looking for the silver lining. You, you call it a shadow ban. At least they didn't ask for a publication ban. Uh, so this can actually uh, be publicized uh, after the fact. Um, what is the argument? What is the main argument uh, that your council is going to make on Thursday, Randy? Well, there's many. We've got arguments on the health. We've got arguments on the mental health. And we also have, uh, you know, as you know, David, I was an elected representative at that time. Um, And we also can say with certainty the Constitution regards the freedom of expression, freedom of mobility, peaceful assembly as foundational and fundamental rights not to be infringed upon without justification. And the infringement has to be proportional. The The two cases that are being heard on uh, Thursday and Friday are when For- Doug Ford's government instituted a complete stay-at-home order where people were not permitted to leave their home unless they met one of the government's predetermined criteria, such as uh, getting necessary health care, Uh, going for groceries, etc. As an elected representative, how can you possibly expect that other foundational element of our Constitution, a a representative democracy, function if you prohibit elected representatives from leaving their house and talking with constituents or meeting with constituents or meeting with stakeholders? Uh, These are uh fundamental violations uh and uh i i think the government recognizes that they've got themselves in a bit of a pickle on this one um you know the arguments are extensive yeah they can't be given justice in uh, a five or ten minute interview that's why it's being held over two days Mm. to hear these arguments in the superior court and, and, you know, Randy, I, I don't know if uh, this will carry any water in court, but I seem to remember Premier Ford. I'm going back to Easter weekend of 2020, right in the beginning of the pandemic. And I remember him saying, uh, everybody stay at home. It's about public safety, two weeks to flatten the curve, all that stuff. And then he buggered off to his cottage, again, being a front runner in the uh, uh, displaying the mantra of one law for thee and one law for me. Oh, there were so many examples. Uh, it wasn't just Ford meeting his plumber, apparently, up at the yes. cottage. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Trudeau was uh, hanging out at his cottage and, and traveling across <laughs> borders. Uh, cabinet ministers were going down to St. Bart's in Hawaii. Uh, you know, all the while, the uh, the peons and the peasants of the land were confined to their homes. Uh, so, you know, we, we know that it was uh, one law for the peasants and uh, quite a different law 
for the the princes of our country. Yeah, thank you for reminding me about that St. Bart's story. I think that was uh, Minister Rod Phillips, wasn't it, who not only went down to St. Bart's, but he had pre-recorded videos of him doing fireside chats in Ajax when he was in the Caribbean. I mean, uh, I don't think the comedic geniuses at Monty Python could write this stuff, Randy. So we're going to watch that court case, of course, with interest. I know our viewers are very interested in this. And even though they seem to be playing games uh, in terms of, you know, having the court case heard, uh, it will be heard and this story will come out. But I want to quickly shift gears. This is something near and dear to your heart. It's about the tragic case of uh, Garnett Harper. Um you know, this is a tragedy that didn't even have to be a tragedy, um, Randy. Uh, this is a father of five, kidney disease. And, well, I'll let you set the table what happened uh, to Mr. Harper and what you are suggesting that all Canadians do in order to take a stance in terms of this happening. Well, yeah, what what have happened to uh, Garnet Harper was nothing short of premeditated murder. Mm. Uh, the people who withheld needed, essential, and available healthcare yeah. knew what the consequences of their decision would be. They knew it would lead to his premature death. That, by any measure of the criminal code, is premeditated murder. Uh, you know, but we've been doing this for over three years in this province now, David. Uh, mm. Our governments have been withholding health care, knowing that it would severely injure, harm, and kill people. Uh, they made a choice. They said our public policies will be designed to ostensibly uh, and falsely um uh, uh, diminish the spread of this virus, knowing that it is going to kill people what we're doing. They made this choice. And, and Randy, just, just to bring clarity to this story, the reason uh, Mr. Harper was denied uh, a kidney transplant is because he was unvaccinated, simply for that reason. He refused to take a medical injection that we now know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that causes significant harm and adverse injury to many people. So he purposely, willingly chose that decision. Um, and, and, the, and the crux to this, of course, David, is this. The hospital system was more than willing to harvest these unvaccinated organs wow. from Garnet Harper uh, and transplant his unvaccinated organs into other people as long as they were vaccinated previously. Uh, and like this is this is there is no other word for it than premeditated murder. Like this is, you know, there is no law in the land right now that grants hospitals the authority to deprive unvaccinated people of health care. I can go into uh, any healthcare, in, into any hospital or any doctor, and uh, I can get my arm uh, fixed if I break my arm. I yeah. can get 
blood work done if I need to get blood work. Um, and for them to decide that they should kill Garnet Harper and harvest and potentially harvest his organs and give them to others is is the uh, this is not not just a tragedy. A tragedy is is something that is unexpected and and yes. uh, you know this this again this is social murder. This is applying a punitive measure against someone who did not comply to the bullshit of the mandates. You know, Randy, I'll, I'll tell you, it, it is unbelievably unethical and immoral what happened to this man at the hands of the medical establishment. I mean, doctors subscribe to the Hippocratic Oath, uh, translated in English. That means do no harm. This was the opposite of do no harm. This was giving this man a death sentence. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a, a punitive measure. And it, and it was known to be punitive. And, you know, and, you know, and, and although there's the, the uncompassionate people out there, and there's the fearful people and the cowardly people uh, who some of people think that this was a reasonable undertaking by our healthcare system. But, but let me remind everyone, uh, you know, if I am a skydiver uh, and I get injured skydiving, um, you know, or if I'm a pilot flying my airplane and I get injured flying my pilot, I don't have my health care deprived from me because I took a had a different choice in life. Even if I decided to be some, do something foolish like bungee jumping and got injured, health care would still it's supposed to be universal. It's not just supposed to be yeah. legally. It is universal. So regardless of your uh, the uh, what may have transpired, the state, because they are the only ones who are permitted to provide health care in this country, has a universal duty and obligation to provide it when necessary. No, 100%. And they have... A monopoly on health care. Um, we are obligated to support this monopoly through our tax dollars. I've always said if anyone brings up the, oh, if you're going bungee jumping card, um, you are an undue risk to our publicly funded health care system, I'll say, fine, let me opt out and give me a tax refund of what my taxes would be in terms of going into paying OHIP, but we know that's never going to be allowed. So uh, that argument doesn't uh, pass muster with me, Randy. But I'm struggling with the ostensible policy reason here by the medical establishment. COVID-19, it's in the rearview mirror of history. We know now um, all the lies that were hatched in terms of this uh, pandemic, in terms of the effectiveness of the vaccine even. What in the world, Randy, was motivating these people to deny him health care due to his unvaccinated status in the first place? What was the harm? Well, this is a vindictive approach. That's all it is. It's vindictive. This is to uh, to penalize those who were not compliant. Um, and you know, so so David, it, it's time for the unvaccinated. It's time for people who seek freedom and seek justice to fight back. And 
you know, just as necessary services and um, were withheld from the unvaccinated during uh, the mandates, it's time for the unvaccinated and even those who have a sense of morality and justice to fight back and say, no, until we treat people equally in our healthcare system, I am going to withhold any of my organs from mm. the healthcare system. I'm not going to let you to harvest my good organs, um, but let me die um, as a result of my decision. I am not even going to provide any blood uh, to the healthcare system. And I think that's the way, just as services were withheld from the unvaccinated, the unvaccinated need to withhold something near and dear to the public and pressure the public and our politicians to treat everyone fairly. And Randy, if you just allow me to play devil's advocate here, if I were to say to you, I understand where you're coming from to, you know, deliver a bowl, you know, a blow to the medical establishment that really resulted in this man dying unnecessarily. Yet, if en masse we withhold our blood, we don't donate our organs anymore, think of how many innocent Canadians that have nothing to do with this and nothing to do with these policies who might end up, well, dying because of a lack of blood, a lack of a, a replacement organ. How would you respond to that? Well, I would say to them all, if you think that this is important, that they have access to unvaccinated organs or have access to organs and blood, then stand up to the plate mm -hmm. and call up their MPPs, call up their MPs, call up, send letters to the premiers and the prime minister and say, we are treating these people unfairly. It is unjust what we're doing. I don't want to have blood on my hands that little children are now going around without a dad, a loving dad, because I was too lazy to get off my ass and tell our politicians that they should treat people fairly. And at the end of the day, Randy, does a lot of this blame perhaps rest with, uh, you know, Premier Doug Ford, any other premier in Canada, in terms of reining in the medical community and saying you can't treat people with, well, medical apartheid, if you will. That, you know, if you're vaxxed, uh, you get red carpet service. And if you're unvaxxed, you get a death sentence. Oh, listen, at one time, a great many people in our country expected um that our political leaders would demonstrate leadership. Mm. Uh, and, uh, but we have seen in the last number of years that that was a myth. Um, there is no leadership. The only way politicians do anything other than fill their own pockets is if the public pressures them. So to anybody in your audience who's listening, if they have someone who is got complications with their kidney or liver um, or um, or whatever other ailment that may be down the road requiring a transplant. Act now, mm -hmm. act now uh, and call up your MPs, your MPPs and say to them, it's time for the government to rein in these vindictive healthcare 
practitioners and hospitals and say, now you're going to treat people fairly now, once again, in this country. And, uh, and unless people do that, there, unless there is political pressure to do this, our political actors will continue to read from a different script than what is called justice. Well, Randy, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, we'll see where this proposed boycott goes. Uh, I agree with you. I'd love to see the politicians develop a spine. And also, I'd love to see those in the medical establishment go, wait a minute. I spent so many years of my life learning to become a doctor, to heal people, to prevent people from dying prematurely. And now you're asking me to hand out a death sentence to somebody that uh, uh, you know needs an organ transplant simply because... He didn't get vaxxed with an experimental uh, vaccine. Are you kidding me? It is egregious on so many levels. But like I said, Randy, we're going to have to leave it at that. And we will watch with interest uh, your court case. Good luck in Superior Court, my friend. Well, let me just say one last thing, David. For these doctors who think that their hands are tied and that they can't do anything, the only thing that ties their hand is a muzzle that they've placed on their mouth. Okay, They can speak up and take those wraps off their hands and make things fair. And I'd ask everybody to keep tuned in to nomorelockdowns.ca. I will be publishing a link to the constitutional case. Look forward to your support and the good work for the JCCF for handling this constitutional challenge. Thank you so much once again, Randy, and good luck in court on Thursday. Thank you. Well, folks, we got a ton of response regarding Ezra's trip to Hungary. C-Drone4066 writes, I respect that Hungarians and the Poles are fighting for their country and culture and not letting the EU control them. Well, I can tell you, my friend, three years of covering the anti-lockdown protests, easily the most passionate people I came across were those from former Eastern Bloc countries and the former Soviet Union. They know what it's like to have your freedoms and rights taken away. They've seen that picture play out once. They didn't like how it ended, and they're not going to let it happen again. Good for Hungary. Good for Poland. Papa Dumb Tech writes, I am a Westerner who has been living in Hungary with my Hungarian wife for many years. To see what go, goes in the MSM media against Hungary is shocking, to say the least. Oh, I'm with you, my friend. And it's all about Hungary taking an anti-woke stance. That's not polite when it comes to the MSM drones, is it? It's all despicable. Good luck living in Hungary. They're standing up for what's right. And believe me, if Hungarian women are like... Eva or Zsa Gabor, maybe I'll have to uh, plan a trip over there. Oh, that's right. I forgot. I'm already married. The old one, 485, writes, drag journalists is a great term to describe MSM journos. Yeah, you know, it's funny, though. Um, unlike drag queens, though, I don't think so many of the journalists that are on the state tab are, oh, you know, fat 
ugly, with beards. Why is that with the drag queens? No, no, no. The uh, drag journalists, they just blend in with the rest of the folk, except they all share one thing in common, don't they? They're on the take, uh, which means um, go to bat for blackface and condemn those so-called rogue nations like Hungary that aren't on board with wokeness and political correctness and letting their borders be violated. Yeah, no thanks. Well, folks, that's it for tonight's version of the Ezra Levant Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. The Big Boss Man will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, as always, stay safe and stay sane.